are live with the 105th episode of the Bronx Bomber Babble podcast. I'm your host, Matt Luz Luigi. And tonight, Luigi's not here, but it's me, Alex, with Andrew and G. How are we doing, guys? What's going on, man? Doing okay, doing okay. How's Florida? I mean, <sighs> I mean Florida. What was that? Substitute How is Florida? Florida. Connecticut. Oh, Florida's, I mean Florida. Florida's great this time of year, you know? I definitely know what the weather's like down there because i'm your host matt Luz luigi yep. Yep. but um anyways we have a lot to talk about because a lot of things have happened in the last week or so most notably um and i'll be locking out the players which i it's think like we a all... lot of things but also at the same time like a lot of nothing slash the same things mm-hmm. yeah well, within the and, last week, but if we extend it back a little more, um, there's a huge source of frustration, rage, apathy, tears, whatever you want to, whatever it is. It's a range of emotions among Yankee fans because free agency kicked off a lot earlier than we expected because of the looming lockout. And mm-hmm. um, we set it out, basically. So uh, there's a lot to dive into tonight. Well, and there was a lot of uh, reports saying the Yankees were waiting until after the lockout to try and basically bargain hunt, which is such a infuriating move for us because this was supposed to be the off season where they went and spent a bunch of money because they spent the last what four or five years trying to reset the luxury tax. And then this year they made all their trades um, at the trade deadline for Rizzo and for Gallo to try and sit. And they had the other team, the um, Cubs and the Rangers like pay the both players salaries and they gave up more prospects for that. And then they traded away Justin Wilson and Sessa to save money. So it just seemed like this entire time they were preparing to spend a lot of money this offseason. And then we go out and just kind of sit back and watch as the Rangers sign both Semyon and Seeger, the Mets sign Scherzer, the Mariners sign Robbie Ray. You know, it's just it was a very tough time for us to be, you know, just sit, sitting back and watching this because. I think we were all expecting the Yankees to actually at least be rumored to be, to try and, you know, make some moves instead of just dead silence. I think the worst part in all this is that there was such an absence of rumors, right? It's mm-hmm. one thing if the Yankees don't sign X, Y, and Z players, uh, Corey Seager would have been a good fit. I know there's questions about his defense and you don't want to give a guy like that 10 years. Um, there's, there's always implied risk with giving a guy eight, nine or 10 year contract. Right. Uh, but some of them didn't make a ton of sense. Like, I don't think the Yankees were willing to commit to Robbie Ray, even though he won the Young last year. Yeah. Kind of been a flash in the pan. Um, well, and that's Marcus the Simeon doesn't have a true position. Like, he wants to be shortstop. He won't play shortstop in Texas now that they have Seager as well. Uh, so there's certain players that the Yankees didn't match up well with to begin with, but we weren't even hearing rumors like, mm-hmm. hey, the Yankees are at least talking with Anthony Rizzo. They're probably not going to sign until January, but at least they're talking. Yeah. Um, there's proof like, well, the Yankees checked in on Carlos Correa. It's like, great. He's the top available for agents. So they they, yeah. they they called his agent one time. That's not that's not anything. Yeah, they called him and said, hey, how you doing? How much money you want? And when he said, you know, 400 million, they're like, okay, like we'll talk in a couple, a couple of months. Great. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, I'm maybe a little surprised with the absence, but it's maybe not the most surprising thing because a lot of times Brian Cashman's stuff just pops out of nowhere, right? Ninja Cash, like, you know. Yeah, but, but I was a little bit time, surprised by the the complete lack of actual, yeah. like, anything. 
Yeah. And, and you know, you, you do make a good point by saying there's a lot of times that stuff just pops out of nowhere. Like you think back to the off season before 2019, where just kind of out of the blue, the Yankees signed DJ LeMay. Go back to even the trade deadline this year. No one knew that we were in on Anthony Rizzo. We got him. Yeah, that's true. And all of a sudden it was Ken Rosenthal tweeting Rizzo to the Yankees. And we were like, "Uh, okay, that's fine. Yeah. Obviously with the shortstops, like that's what everyone, the fan base anyway. And I mean, it seemed like there was some smoke there and like, oh, the the Yankees need a short. Cashman contributed to himself. He goes, ah, you know, shortstop's an area of need. But it was very weird to see them not do anything you know, Seager, if, I don't think they were going to spend a $350 million on Corey Seager. I would have seen them maybe a lot more likely spending the 175 on Simeon yeah, um, that, and or that's someone that they could move off of shortstop within a few years. Um, yeah, and I, I definitely could have seen them kind of prioritizing Simeon over Seager the second <laughs> Seager started wanting 10 years at $325 And look, Seager could have played that role too where they moved him off shortstop eventually he's mm-hmm. not an elite defensive shortstop uh, and we don't really have a long-term third base option right now um, so he could have moved over there if they decided they didn't want to extend uh Gleyber torres past his arbitration years then maybe seeker switches to second base later in his career obviously that's something that he would have had to been on board with in the initial conversations i don't really think they even got that far um, but I mean, but certainly with the yankees the biggest thing is that there's so many holes in the roster to fill, right? We mm-hmm. need a starting pitcher. Jamison Tyone's going to be out the first month of the year recovering from surgery. And I don't, who the hell knows if that's even longer because he can't work with the team positions right now because of the lockout. Obviously, we need a center fielder. I don't really think we, we trust Aaron Hicks all that much, even though he's doing rehab and, and getting some, some at-bats. He's playing pretty well. Right now. Uh, Gary Sanchez is really lining up to be the catcher again and we all want to blow our brains out because of that Mm -hmm. we don't have a first baseman i don't think we feel comfortable with luke boyd there's a lot of holes if it was just one position and that's and that's the thing that's the thing about the roster right now is there's so many holes in it and and a lot of the positions that you could pretend you could kind of pencil people into there's a lot of room for growth like all of a sudden if the yankees went out and signed chris bryant to play third base i don't think anyone would really be too broken up about switching geo to like a super utility role look i'm gonna be perfectly honest i'm surprised why that's not a rumor because that that makes perfect sense that makes chris perfect sense. for the yankees yeah. and, and chris bryant can also play all three outfield Out- positions he could probably yeah. play first base too if needed like you talk about a super utility he would likely be the everyday third baseman but i think he played more outfield with the giants after the trade than he did in mm-hmm. the field so like yeah, he, he could play any position <laughs> as well yeah. Well, I mean, there's definitely there's definitely some stuff that could happen. And I mean, again, part of that could just be like, you know, Cashman, you know, whether he tells teams to or tells agents or whatever, you know, he's really good at keeping shit on the down low. Um, but you know, Correa is out there. Obviously, that's like the big fish. Um Chris Bryan is out there. Uh the one that there was the most little bit of anything on really was Freddie Freeman. In that it was yeah. reported that the Yankees are interested, but they don't really think that they can get him away from the Braves. And I'm curious about that. If that means that <clears throat> Atlanta will pay whatever it takes to retain him, or if Freeman has no interest in actually leaving and he'll hold out for an offer he's comfortable with and he just wants to sign with Atlanta, even if other teams are offering more, or if they just think that the Yankees are in the mix, but they can't offer what it'll take to actually pry him away mm-hmm. from Atlanta. It's one and of those other... three, and I really have no idea which it is right now. I think John Heyman tweeted that 
Freeman's looking for six years, 180 million, which is 30 million dollar average yeah, for a guy. And if I'm the if I'm the Braves and that's what he's asking, pay up. There's like, no reason for them not. There's no reason all the revenue sharing from the from just winning the World Series. Freeman is arguably the best first baseman in baseball. He won the MVP last year. He just won the World Series. He's been there for years. He's a leader on the team. He's beloved by everything. There's no reason that he should not be on the Braves next year. So if I'm, if you're thinking, a Braves fan, if, if you're, you're a Braves you're fan, fan of any other team, you you're thinking yeah. I'll pay up and I'll get him. Well, the other so. rumbling rumor part of that whole speculation was that, um, you know, maybe he'd have interest in going to California, like to the Dodgers, you know, he's from that he's area, from but I don't know how, if that was just like, you know, fantasizing or whatever, but I mean, look, the Dodgers yeah. are never afraid to go big game hunting. So no. I, I don't think that that's, I don't think someone just made that up for, for a story. I think there had to have been some smoke there. Yeah. Well, and well I def- that's I the sad thing about it is that you, the you, Dodgers wouldn't mind uh, moving uh, Muncie away <laughs> from first base either. If they I, after what after the injury that he had this year, I wouldn't be surprised if they're like, dude, you're never playing first base again just because we want to protect you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> if that injury happens again, your career is over. Which, I mean, the, the there's a different problem. consideration here because they're, I mean, last year it wasn't in play, but in the future, I think we're all sort of anticipating a universal DH. Yeah. Um, Which creates, but, I mean, what, 15 new jobs in the National League as well for, for hitters and certainly more opportunities for players to go to different teams that they may not have considered. It's a guy. It's why a guy like Nelson Cruz is still having to balance all these offers at, at his age because 15 new teams just said, Hey, yeah, we got a spot. We could put you. And yeah. because Nelson Cruz at 41 years old, hit 32 home runs last year. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, even when he was, after he was traded to the race, he didn't do as well, but at the same time, like if I'm any national league team and all of a sudden you see <laughs> Nelson Cruz is still out there, and you have a DH spot that's open. You you sign you take do anything you can to sign him. You know I think he he would he would be a good fit, uh, reminiscent of, um, for for a pre a, a past Yankee who who mm-hmm. Nelson Cruz could play that role in the future is, he could kind of play a Matt Holiday 2017 role with a team yeah. like maybe the Rockies. Like granted the Yankees in 2017 oh, yeah. made it to one game from the World Series, but no one thought about that at the beginning of the year. He was yeah. supposed to come in as a veteran presence to just provide a stable bat in the middle of the lineup, but really just to nurture some of the younger kids. Remember judge was playing his first full season. Sanchez was playing his first full season. Um, and, and the Rockies are, are certainly in flex. They may be I could see that. Brandon I could shortstop see next year. I could fun see little that nugget of information. Too. Um, fun little nugget for Nelson Cruz is if he plays probably two more years or has the best season of his career at 42 years old, he'll get to 500 home runs, which would be pretty which, cool. You got to think that that's on his mind. Oh yeah. Oh, definitely. Yeah. I mean, he needs 51 home runs. So yeah, let, look, look, let, let's bring this back to, to the Yankees, right? Uh, we, we've certainly talked about uh, the, the rumors with potentially Matt Olson. I know that was kind of just a um, whole Twitter fiasco. We don't have to get into the specifics there, but also Oakland is, is looking to, to blow things up right now, right? So they have multiple trade chips. Obviously, yeah. Matt Olson's the one that everyone's talking about. And I would think that uh, every team has at least checked in on him. Uh, is Matt Chapman going to be available? Because he fits in perfectly that, at third the base thing. for the Yankees. The and then you maybe re-sign Rizzo. Uh, Domenaya might be available. Really, uh, He's awesome. The A's and the Yankees really line up for really good trade partners. Because if you look at them, the A's have multiple starting pitchers. They have a first baseman. 
and they have a third baseman who all are getting too expensive for their comfort zone and they're all going to be probably trading. I would say out of Olsen, Chapman, Manaya, and Chris Bassett, I would say at least two of them are traded. Before I mean, too expensive this. for the Rays now or for the A's now in the year 2021 about to be 2022 seems like a hilariously like subjective kind of thing like mm-hmm. their their payroll is not high they were very competitive and now they're just like eh well that's it we can't do it anymore like and it's really disappointing because it it's almost like <clears throat> they saw how the, how they did this year and they didn't end up making the playoffs and instead of thinking okay you know what maybe we can retool and actually go back and do it this year it's like that kind of just disheartened them and they went you know what this is the time blow everything up which they're, is they're, kind of what the Cubs, I think, should have done last year. Yeah. Um, and they waited this year until it's too late, and then they kind of had to throw away the whole season. They mm-hmm. did recoup some assets, obviously, from tearing it down, but I think they could have gotten bigger returns trading all those guys last offseason. Uh, yeah. But like, look, look, going back to Oakland, like you said, there's even some names like Cole Irvin, A.J. Puck, who could potentially be yeah. on the move. I know those are younger players, but Oakland is perpetually looking to move players before they become expensive, and the Yankees are looking to get – high level talent without having to pay top of the market price, which yeah. is so frustrating as a Yankee fan. Again, we, we've talked about it on the podcast. We've, we've tweeted out a number of times. I'm not expecting every, you know, Cashman to go out and sign every top free agent. The Yankees have a 300 million plus payroll every year. But, at right? least but they need to show something. some inclination to spend yeah. because they are right. the I most mean, valuable franchise in the sport. And the second <laughs> most valuable franchise in all of American sports behind only the mm-hmm. Dallas Cowboys. See, this is the thing that annoys me a little bit though, because you know, I mean, I don't know. You, it's it's really easy to spend someone else's money, but at the same time, like we have to at least kind of think about this. Like the Yankees' payroll was, you know, what it was over two hundred million dollars. You know, for I think it ended the year at like two hundred seven point four or something like that. Yeah, but I think what he's yeah. getting at is that but, it's been it's been at that number for seventeen eighteen oh, years. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah like yeah, it's yeah. been at that level. You know. From when? Since like the mid two thousands, right? Two thousand two. Like, since they signed Jason Giambi, they've been over two hundred million every year. Right. I'm not saying that they have to go out and spend, you know, two hundred seventy five million dollars like the Dodgers did this year. But it's, I think, at this point, reasonable to be like, yeah, you know what? Are they competitive every year? Yes. It's wonderful that they are. They're always going to go out and be willing to get people to dread like, the deadline. It's wonderful. But like, there's more money in the sport now than there was ten yeah. years ago when you were just outspending everyone by a mile and now they're not barely outspending you know the you know teams that are texas rangers just committed half of a billion dollars in free agency Mm -hmm. that's only the two players i'm sorry they signed john gray as well so they're over that yeah like and they signed cole calhoun too right right i I don't know what the specifics of that deal was i can't imagine it wasn't wasn't but the point is that they they're they're close to 600 million dollars in free agent commitments already and they're the rangers right you know yeah so anyway what that i think it's 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 a little, I mean, it's a lot, you know, based on all the free agency shit that happened. It's a lot annoying and really maddening to be like, yeah, you know what? They spend a lot of money and that's wonderful. They're going to be competitive. But at the same time, when you look in the mirror, it's just like they haven't done anything that makes you think they're really interested in doing that stuff to compete. No, they've basically come out and said that they believe that october is a crapshoot and you want to be hot when you get there you want to be healthy when you get there and as long as you get to the dance you have a chance of winning it all but like that's well and good but the yankees have been to the postseason all but what four times over the last 
21 years that they've gone without a world series right yeah well they they, sorry they won in 2009 so they've won title in a 20-year span and they've made the playoffs all but four of those seasons and like that's that's indicative that like yeah you can get there but at some point you got to either push yourself over the threshold or you got to have the right people in in the clubhouse who are gonna elevate their game in october like boston does right like we look at guys like alexander bogart's like he had a very up and down season but you knew he was going to come through for them in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. they went out and they got a guy like kike hernandez who's a perennial october stud like it didn't matter how he played in the regular season like he was going to elevate yeah. and play like an mvp in the playoffs like yankees don't have those type of players they have no player that Judge and is starting to get there yeah. This year was probably the most egregious in terms of like, you know, obviously, you know, the Bronx Bombers thing, you know, they're going to hit a lot of home runs. They believe in, you know, drawing walks and working pitch counts. That's all wonderful and well and good. But like this year, I think was the most egregious like bill of goods that the front office attempted to sell the fan base. It's like Gary Sanchez. I love the guy, but it's like, you know, he's had an up and down, you know, trending downward couple of years. Luke Voigt. Pretty redundant, you know, like Judge and Stanton are great, but like it was so right-handed. It was so, you know, low average, you know, not counting really Judge and somewhat Stanton. Like it was so redundant and so obnoxiously the same that, you know, it's just like, what the fuck, right? I thought thought they were going to be better than they were, but they still weren't that good, you know, to begin with in terms of ceiling. And I thought that was just like a bunch of bullshit that the front office was like, you know, Either they were ignorant about it or they just were like, whatever, this will just have to be what it is like. I think the problem is, is that they've been going into the last few off seasons just trying to patch things together and just be like, you know what, that'll be competitive next year. Instead of kind of going for the jugular and just saying, you know what, we have to get over the top. Let's just go out and make a big move like they signed. I mean, part of it, I think, is also that like they thought players, young players were going to get better and they didn't yeah. really get better at all. So well, and look, and Alex, time. to your point, signing Cole, I don't even know if that counts. Like, yeah, they gave him the biggest free agent contract. For but they didn't do anything else. But 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 Garrett Cole was forever. Brian Cashman's white whale. That was one of those, yeah. like, I can't be burned by this guy for a third time. Yeah, that wasn't exactly. like, we're going to go all in to push this team over the threshold. Yeah. That was like, hey, like, he almost, I feel like he almost was proving something to himself. And, and if we think about it in hindsight, Cole alone wasn't enough to push that team over the line last year. Now, granted, who the hell knows what happens if they didn't have a pandemic and they played a full 162-game season? Mm-hmm. Like, maybe... Tampa wouldn't have been the same team, although I have a hard time believing that because they were as dominant as they were this year. So the the shortened season last year was probably representative of how a 162 game would have played out as well. Uh, I, I I don't know, man. I, I agree with you though that they haven't really done yeah really enough in recent years outside of a couple big signings, but they haven't been committed to fully bolstering the the roster rather than signing one splashy name and calling mm-hmm. it an off season. Well, you look at this past the pat the off season last year, okay? After 2020, they went out and they re-signed Gardner, they signed Kluber, they traded for Tyone. They left they, DJ on red for like two months. <laughs> yeah, they 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 it, they took a while to re-sign DJ, and then they kind of made some minor moves, and that was it. They basically just filled their needs. And just brought back a team that they went, okay, maybe, maybe this team can do it. Like we went into this past season thinking, I mean, I guess maybe they'll be good if, if certain things happen. Like it was so funny. There were so many as, as a World Series favorite, 
Yeah. But ultimately, I think we were more concerned with the pitching staff than we were the offense, and it turned to be the complete opposite way. Yeah, exactly. But I don't I don't think any of us went into opening day. I was excited to have baseball back, to have fans mm-hmm. back in the stands, to have a some scrap of normality, even though we were still like in the pre-vaccine days. I know most of the players were vaccinated at that point, but like most of the country hadn't really had the chance to get it by mm-hmm. late. Yeah, but nobody, March, early. nobody, nobody went into opening day thinking, you know what, this is the Yankees. right, this right, right. The point is, we we weren't sitting on opening day watching like, oh my God, we're going to win the World Series this year. I kind of felt that like the day we signed Cole. And then yeah. of course that whole season was was pushed back two and a half months. But um, yeah, I haven't really had that feeling in a long time. No. I think, I think I mean, before 2018 when the Yankees traded for Stan, I felt really good because, you know, we were still riding the high of them making it to game seven of the ALCS in a year that they were supposed to be rebuilding. And then they went out and traded for the 2017 NL MVP. And I think after that, I felt, oh, my God, they can do it. They can do it this year. Since then, though, I don't remember a, a like a move or a you know game I went into where I'm like, you know what? This is it. This is where they go over the hump, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, I, I don't know. I feel like a lot of it has just been. I don't know, organizational shenanigans, right? Where it's just like, you know, they don't have to go out and sign the top free agent on the market every year. But like, at some point, you have to stop like fucking around and being like, yeah, well, we already have a high payroll, but like, who the fuck are you spending the money on? Like, um, which I think is what we all thought coming into this offseason, right? Because it was like, they ran it back a couple of years with the same core and nothing happened and they did worse, basically. So like, we're like, Oh, you know what? Oh, they got rid of Tyler Wade. He's been around for a while. Mm-hmm. More surprisingly, they got rid of Clint Frazier. And they made those moves, and I was like, oh, so they're really going to, like, clear the decks, and this should open the way for, like, yeah. you know, maybe they'll get aggressive with trades and stuff like that. And um, and it hasn't happened yet. But I mean, well, and I think, I think the, way, the moves where they get, where they DFA'd Frazier and Wade and Odor, I think that kind of made us, it gave us the impression that they were finally going through and cleaning house and which they still could which they still could yeah yeah but i think they've already tendered contracts to everyone so they'd have to trade people yeah Yeah. but i mean like that's it doesn't that doesn't make no sense though if you think about it because it's like if you could trade gary sanchez luke Voigt, whoever to anyone or you could lose them for nothing obviously you're going to try and you're going to try and trade them like Mm -hmm. um well no no no. my point my point was that once they got rid of those three it kind of felt like they were going through and they were going to make some serious changes to the team and then they went out and they still tendered a contract to sanchez and to Voigt, and they didn't end up actually signing anyone during the giant free agent spree so it just kind of seemed like they were like tying up a loose end in getting rid of and and so here we are on the fourth day of Mm -hmm. the major league baseball lockout and the yankees I think that was pre pre planned. Like, hey, like we're not going to do anything pre pre lockout. Yeah. Obviously, the big thing for the Yankees is always going to be the, yeah. the laundry tax. So they probably I don't wanted think to wait they out. expected anything to kind of materialize before the and that's lockout. exactly the problem. So this they is got the caught thing, flat is... while the rest of the league was aggressive and, and they were like, exactly. oh crap! And then it was too late to do anything. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, to bring it back to the most recent news of the day and how that relates to the Yankees, right? So obviously there's a lockout in place now and you can't make signings or trades or all that sort of business. But like maybe we, you know, I don't know, the baseball community of we 
didn't anticipate such a crazy free agency period for the week leading up to this, but like, I don't think it's unreasonable to, as an organization, have thought like maybe it makes more sense to wait because, you know, maybe the tax threshold will be different. Like maybe the circumstances around assigning these players and spending a lot of money will be different. And that will, you know, and I mean, how Starburner is worth a lot of money. So if he thinks like that, then well I think maybe freaking... the case. I think there is some merit to what you're saying. Like certainly <laughs> the CBA, when it's finalized and everything opens back up, like maybe it'll be more advantageous for us, which technically would, I, I think it shouldn't matter because how definitely has enough money to afford it either way. All the contracts signed before the lockout get grandfathered into the new CBA, right? So they, they benefit from whatever negotiations there are. But I think the Yankees aren't willing to actually sign pen to paper until they see the details in front of them. Uh, and obviously Hal has been very stringent on, on payrolls and, and profits in a way that his father never was. And I don't just mean spending money. Uh, it's the fact that the Yankees were profitable throughout the nineties. And one thing that George Steinbrenner always did remember, he had the, the shipbuilding business that he had the, the, the empire to even buy the Yankees in the first place with. Um, so he was never like, struggling for, for cash, right? And now Hal's just sitting on the brand, right? And that, that's his business. Uh, but but Steinbrenner would, would reinvest a lot of profits from the team year over year back into the team. That's why the payroll shot up so much because he's like, hey, look, I don't need all this extra money. I got my own business, right? I don't really think that's still in play anymore. Uh, and it is frustrating that the team is so, I'm going to say financially constrained. They're, I wouldn't think they actually should be, but they they self-impose these these limitations based on luxury tax and and funding teams that aren't willing to spend more than 50 million i get the, that source of frustration right like if the marlins and and oakland and pittsburgh aren't and cincinnati aren't going to want to spend a lot of money like why should the yankees be subsidizing them because they're actually being competitive but at the same time like you still gotta worry about you winning you gotta worry about your family's reputation you gotta worry about your fan base and they're not yeah well, like, the thing look, is, hey, you like, want to bring in playoff revenue, make the playoffs and go deep, and then you get a lot more playoff revenue. Like, yeah. Well, and the problem is, like, Hal has said for a while he is running. He's been running the team differently than the way that his father did. Which there's nothing wrong with that. You know, you want to have your own brand as an owner. You don't want to just be following the same exact footsteps as your father did. And that's one thing that I think has been very difficult for people to understand is that. Hal's not going to run the team the same way that George did, which is basically just throw money at every single person. Right, but like we're can't. not asking him to be like, you know, yeah, spend and trade all your prospects and, you know, just, you know, balls to the wall, everything. We're, he's literally already spending $200 million a year. Mm. We're literally just asking him to spend like a little bit more, just yeah. a little bit more. And well, keep and your prospects and do whatever you want to do, that's, but like a little bit more than what you're doing. Like, yeah, and that's the thing. There's got to be some type of medium between him wanting to save a little bit of money and kind of have his own way of doing things. Well, there is and a medium, also, and it's not being followed through. The, the happy medium is have years like 2021 where you're so obsessed and, and committed to going under the luxury tax threshold so that when you exceed it in future years, your penalties or at the lowest tier, at least in the first year you go over, right? So that was the opportunity. Like, look, we dealt with it last year, and we understand we're not going to win the World Series every year. They can't spend $300 million every year. But if you're going to be committed to going under it, then you have to blow by it the next year, or else what was the mm -hmm. point of going under it, other than just to save, like, $20 million in tax payments? And for a, a team that's valued at 
billion dollars. And obviously with, with COVID and then half the stadium full this year, um, I get revenue has been down the past two years and they don't have that side business to subsidize them. But like generally over time, those revenues will even themselves out. So what is the, the, the 20 to $40 million you had to pay in, in taxes to the league and kick a few pennies to bottom feeders like Pittsburgh and whatnot? Like yeah. that's, that's going to level teams- out and, and, and they're not doing that. And that's, I think, where Those, people it's not, are it's most not like a consideration of, it's not a consideration of competitiveness, right? You can't be like, oh, well, we're subsidizing, you know, teams that aren't like, you know, that are spending less money than we are. They're not spending money on their, on their rosters. They're not spending your money to, to be a pain in your ass. The Orioles don't spend shit. They spent like $50 million last year. Mm-hmm. So like, yeah, but, but, but the problem is, is that if they have a set profit in mind like or said budget if they're only going to spend 50 million dollars regardless of what they get in revenue sharing then the revenue sharing money they get is just going straight to the owner's pocket and i i, I understand being pissed about that right like if if you're hal steinbrenner and you know that five million dollars of your tax payment is going to go directly to the pittsburgh pirates and they're not going to actually invest that money into their own roster and you're just going to be basically funding their own their other their owner like i'd be pissed too right. <laughs> like, yeah so you. this is actually a good a good you know, way to transition to the new, the actual overarching news of the day, which is the lockout. And right, right, and and, and again, mm-hmm. so that, that that is is a good transition there because one thing that I think is on the table league wide, and, and most fan bases are on board with it. Uh, I can't say that all the owners are on board with it, which means the league won't be on on board with it. But is there needs to be some for, some level of salary floor, right? Like, where do we think that that needs to be? I would say I think it needs to be at least probably eighty to ninety million dollars. Honestly, I would say lot for... like ninety to a hundred at the very minimum. Yeah, I I'd the, have to really problem, see what which teams. The problem is I don't think there's so many teams that pay under a hundred million dollars a year in their salary or in their payroll. I don't I can't imagine them actually agreeing to that. Yeah, but if I mean, you're not the, gonna the, do the, 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 the I'm not gonna do the like ownership. I'm not going to do the owner's net worth thing that Andrew hates when I do, but I will say a lot of these teams league-wide have been bought and sold in the last 10 to 15 years. There's plenty of money in all these owners' pockets, and the fact that the Orioles or the Pirates or the Rays have spent, you know, or the Marlins who just, they're spending a lot more now, so kudos to them, I guess, but like five teams spent under $50 million in payroll last year. Like that's just, yeah, but, but that's you, gotta, you gotta, you gotta be careful with that. And, and this is kind of why I agree. There should be some level of a floor, but if you get too aggressive, you're not going to get the owners on board. It's just not going to happen because you, you look at Forbes does a really good job of showing the, the team valuations. They show the plus minus gain in value from the previous year. They show their team's revenue from the most recent reporting, uh, the most recent year. And, and you look at, I get it's a pandemic year but there are some teams that were barely over 100 million the yankees were actually like 104 million just because they got nuked by the pandemic yeah uh, but generally speaking they're gonna be way way higher right uh, but well, there's a lot of teams in thing. that bottom 10 percent of the valuations or bottom 20 percent that only make about 100 to 120 million in total revenue so yeah. payroll is only one aspect of that right you got to pay all your staffers you got to invest money into travel and, and analytics and, and so many other things that like if they're forced to spend $85 million on payroll every year, they're going to be losing money. So now your argument could be, well, then those guys shouldn't be able to own the team because they don't have enough money to actually run the business. And then that's where it gets messy. Like, so it, this is where 
this lockout is going to get really, really bad for a mm-hmm. while before it, it resolves itself just because there's no one size fits all solution for everyone. Yeah. yeah. Well, and, and that's, so the... that's the biggest problem is that I think the fact that the whole CBA negotiations and the lockout are taking place now is the worst possible time, actually, second worst possible time because of the fact that the pandemic just happened. And if it would have been way worse if the if everything happened last off season with um, the shortened season and owners trying to save as much money as they possibly can well, after they had lost so much money so i think you're looking at it now and you look at all the teams that spent you know 40 million dollars in payroll or in uh, yeah in payroll this past season it's different and it's difficult to kind of project what they're going to spend normally because this season was this past season was also not a normal season because there were still a lot of issues with the pandemic. There was a, still a lot of teams that had I mean, problems with COVID. So yes, that's true. But also like, I mean, I said this in the, before we were just chatting, like Jeff Passan wrote an article about this five years ago when they agreed yeah. to the current thing, like he saw this, it was, Pretty, pretty oh, clear. Yeah, no, I'm not saying there was going to be a lockout. The, I'm not saying the lockout wouldn't have happened if the pandemic had never happened. I'm just saying the pandemic makes everything much worse, and it makes it a lot. I mean, obviously, because yeah, look, look at the big it, source of revenue. The system financially, you know, obviously it's collectively bargained. But like the owners wanted these things, right? Yeah. House Starburner doesn't want to spend 280 million dollars a year. Like, and I guess you know, again, it's easy to spend someone else's money, but like. Don't say you want to be competitive year in and year out, and then be like, "Oh well, um, the, you know, there's luxury tax threshold, and I really can't go over that." Well, who the fuck yeah. put it in place? You guys did. Yeah, like, exactly. you know, yeah, I Orioles, think that was I mean, so funny that he I said the he Orioles was... three times in the last five minutes, so it's going to sound like I'm shooting on the Orioles. And let's be honest, I am. Like, <laughs> but like, the Orioles haven't won more than 55 games since like 2017. Like, they're not trying to win. So like, it, don't. I don't have any pity for these owners who are like, oh, well, we don't have money. You're not trying to spend the money. Yeah. Like, and that's what the players want is just for the league and the field to generally be more competitive. Yeah, it, it, it's it's, it's going to be really, really tricky. Um, obviously, the shortened season also took a lot of the, the TV revenue that the teams rely on out of, out of the equation. But it's, it's very obvious when you have teams that, that – are trying to follow the model of the Rays and the Astros were tanking and sitting on first round, you know, top five first round picks for half a decade, you're going to eventually turn that into high end talent. Uh, but at least those, yeah, well, I should say at least the Astros uh, were eventually willing to spend when they needed to. Right. Um, there does need to be some level of floor to push those, those teams. Look, if you can't operate in, in Major League Baseball, then you probably shouldn't be the owner. And there probably is some other Steve Cohen out there who wants to buy your team, right? Yeah. Uh, oh, there absolutely is. And, and I think that's better for, for the league. Uh, the, the Mets have always been a top five valued franchise, but like they're spending at a, at a criminal rate since he since he bought the team. And I think that's good for the sport. It's certainly good mm. for, for Mets fans and for the franchise. But well, I th- And I think just in general, the more teams that are competitive out there, the better shape the league's going to be in you yeah, don't the want competitiveness the is, sub, is subjective that's the problem is that a yeah. lot of teams like the like Tampa Bay Rays can operate on a 55 million dollar payroll and make it to the world series other yeah. teams can't it was less than that and that's true <laughs> yeah but at the same time it's like if there's a lot of teams fighting for 
you know, five, six playoff spots, depending on how it gets restructured with the CBA, you're going to have a lot more fan involvement and it'll make a lot more revenue that way. Whereas if it like a couple of years ago, I want to say it was 2018 where it was kind of just the Yankees, the Red Sox, the Astros and the Twins as like the top teams in the AL and everyone else was either like 500 or below. Right. And it was kind of the same in the NL where it was just like you had the four or five top heavy teams that were all win that were all winning, you know, 95 plus games and everyone else was like 84 or below. And yeah, which that, is why it, when you had like the middle of the 2010s, you had teams like the Pirates making the playoffs. You had the mm-hmm. Orioles making the playoffs. You had the Angels even making the playoffs. The Angels, uh, the Angels won their division one year. Yeah, so like stuff like that is, is good for the league, not just yeah. in, in where the free agency money is going. Because a lot of those teams won with smart moves, right? They weren't yeah. – like, like granted, the, the, the Orioles were good. I think they gave that big contract to Chris Hicks afterwards uh, they did, after they yeah. kind of peaked. So it, it wasn't even like they were spending – They used the money that small they had window. earned from their good years to reward one of their players that had contributed a lot right. during that time. And, you know, this whole thing, it's difficult for us to look at it because we are Yankees fans. You know, we're used to a team that's willing to spend so much money to win the World Series. And I think we would have a completely different outlook if we were, you know, Marlins fans or Pirates fans. And and baseball is the only team with such such discrepancies, right? If you look at at the the valuation of each franchise uh, in the NBA, NHL and NFL there is a, a pretty significant gap top to bottom, but every team is operating at a maximum salary, roughly. Yeah. I know it's more of a, of a soft cap in the NBA, and then you're willing to – how much you're willing to spend in, in taxes to go over, right? But like, look at the NFL. Every team is pretty much maxed out on the cap. Now, those owners are all more mm-hmm. flush with cash than some of the, the poor – I say poor. But everyone's kind of in MLB, but yeah. same payrolls, yeah. Or if right, as, the, so like we don't really know what it's like to be a team that can only spend yeah. seventy five million dollars. Like, hey, look, I got like Carlos Correa is a free agent. Like, we're sitting at home saying like, yeah, there's no chance we will ever, ever, ever sign him. Even yeah. the, like the Diamondbacks, like they'll <laughs> occasionally make a big move, like when they get back yeah. and make a deal to Granky. But occasionally, more often than not, they sit out free agency. Right? Like, mm-hmm. what would that be like to be a fan of that team? It's, we can't and relate. So exactly. there definitely is some bias in us for sure. To well, yeah, there's bias in terms of like spending relative spending figures, but like. Just to, I guess, I don't know, put into words, right? The, you know, the the Rays and the Orioles and all those teams that were down there, their payroll was $40 million. Well, Max Scherzer makes as much or relatively as much as five teams now, uh, their entire payroll. And the Dodgers' payroll was $275 million. The Dodgers would have based on last year's figures, spent about $250 more million on their roster than the Cleveland uh, Guardians did. So, like, there's a massive gap there that clearly needs to be closed at least a little mm-hmm. bit. And it's just, I don't know, it's just bullshit. But, like, I mean, there's there's other stuff. It's not just, you know, I mean, obviously yeah, it's, it's not, all about money. But that's, but like, a, that's a huge thing, I think. And I think this has been something that has been going on for a while and has been kind of boiling over until now. Yeah, and look, and if, like, if something like, like this wasn't in place and there weren't 
luxury tax penalties and certain stipulations. You got to give up draft picks if you exceed a figure in addition to revenue sharing with other teams. I think yeah. the Yankees would be sitting closer to $250 million right now. Yeah, I like, think, I think there be. is a certain threshold where we're well, comfortable paying above what, what the salary is now, but because of all the, the stipulations in the prior CBA, he's yeah, like, no, you no, no, that's just it. lighting money on fire and that doesn't help so, us win. Yeah, so that's that's one of the things that was, and there was an article from Evan Drellich in The Athletic, um, which talked a lot about this, like um, you know, they've all, they've exchanged offers, they've exchanged proposals, they've exchanged all this bullshit, you know, like, um, that, like, the league has offered to increase salary floor and offered to increase tax thresholds and things like that, but not to the, not to the liking of the players, because the players' whole thing that they were banging the drum for was that this has gotten way out of hand, you know, with some of the salary figures that we just discussed, you know, teams are blatantly tanking, not trying to win, and then the other part of it was that the players want to be hitting free agency earlier because you see you know players signing these contracts where it's like you know ronald acuna signs a contract that he's you know so much more valuable than so you're getting the players most valuable years at a a discount and then they hit you know they hit free agency at 20 whatever aaron judge about hit free agency as a 30 year old you know yeah because he yeah, can't I think there so are some like, exceptions there, right? Like if you if you oh, break yeah, in the no, league earlier, generally like, the look, idea is like you hit Bryce Harper signed his deal three years ago and just won an MVP this year. So like there are yeah. certain generally there, the idea is that the players think that they're the teams are getting a discount on their best years, so that by the time they hit free agency, you get basically one shot at it and then you're done. Which yeah. I get, but that's that's well, another. You also huge have thing. teams that look at them and they're just kind of like, huh? Well, maybe they won't replicate their years, so we're not going to give them as much money as they want yeah. because of that. And, and and look, we may we may just be too ingrained in in the current system, but I I find it very hard to adjust if in the future a, a player comes up and he has four full seasons of team control before he's a free agent. Like that's good for the player. It's very similar to what they do in the NBA and the NFL, right? Yeah. Uh, the NFL has the um, the fifth year player option for first round picks. Uh, NBA has restricted. I mean, yeah, for two years, yada yada yada. But like MLB, like I like that you can have a player on your team like if he comes up a high draft pick or you signed you traded away someone and you got a, a young prospect and they came like look at a guy like labor torres like if he was still playing at a 2019 level and we had him for three or four more years like that's a great value to it yeah it's, an, it's a huge asset to a team rather than like oh well Aaron judge would have been gone already potentially he could have been scooped up by another team if the Yankees weren't willing to pay i know he says he wants to right. be a Yankee his whole career, but every player says that, right? Like we'll see if, if Freddie Freeman stays in Atlanta. He's yeah, you're not thing. gonna you're not gonna go into your final season with a team and say, Yeah, you know what, I guess I don't really want to be here anymore. Right. So ultimately four years of team so, control is is too short. I think they're pushing for five, which is kind of in the middle, but yeah, they wanted it's still one last be an year of arbitration eligibility. They wanted one less year. Which right. I don't then, blame them because arbitration's a nightmare for players. It's it a really scam is. is what it is, right? You yeah. saw that with like, you know, Dell Batance is like Judge obviously is going to get a lot of money in arbitration because he's just productive. But like, yeah, you look at someone like Trevor Bauer too, who made like 17 million in his second year and then uh, whatever it was last year. Um, I think Mookie Betts made like 25 million in his last year. He's made like 20 something million in his last year. You know, just Juan Soto will certainly hit that when he's there. Yeah, (laughs) unless he gets extended. You got a guy like Batance who's nothing but productive when he comes up into the league. He's a great reliever for the first you know, whatever, five years of his career and goes to arbitration, has this ugly 
protracted thing with the franchise and then finally he settles and it's like what was that all about well That's look not... herein lies the problem right if your argument <laughs> and i don't think you're necessarily wrong in some cases there are, there are certainly exceptions but um if your argument is that the player's best and most valuable years are their first four or five years and they should be paid accordingly in that window what do you do you can't just say hey as soon as a player becomes valuable, he's going to hit the free agent market and the team has to pony up mega dollars or someone else is going to benefit and they're going to have to pay up, right? And you lose a guy just as he's about to hit his prime because then no team is ever going to actually... Like, how do you run a pipeline, right? How do you draft no. and, and build you over... Can, if, if the you, second guys are available, you have to pay everyone or if they're gone. I before. think there'd be a lot more extensions that way. Yeah, and you, you have know, to. You notice that there's someone that's I mean, really I productive. He's about to for teams, they have extensions, but players wouldn't want that. If they know, hey, look, yeah. I'm, I can be a free agent two years or a year sooner, um, and, and I'm that much closer to making big dollars and I'm performing well, like, they wouldn't be as apt to sign it. Like, a guy like Ozzy Albies, his is, like, criminally low, and I don't think people expected him to burst like he did this year, and he's yeah. absolutely being paid under value. You know, you can't go back and be like, oh, let's renegotiate because they're going to be like, fuck you. Like, so it's, I mean, one team, one team that's kind of mastered the whole early uh, extension for nothing at all is now the Guardians. Like Jose, think about Jose Ramirez. They signed for like a five year, $25 million. That's the most outrageous. It, It really is the most outrageous extension, I think, in the league. Like, yeah. And so I think that's one of the things they're trying to put a stop to because players are trying to get like some type of stability and just some type of consistent amount of money so that they don't have to go through arbitration. So that that's the tricky part. How do you actually change the system so to guarantee that guys aren't paid? If Delling Batanz is a good example, right? Like someone who's pitching at at an elite level, his first first full three seasons in the league. His third season, he was still only making five hundred seventy-five thousand dollars or whatever yeah. the league minimum number was that year. Yeah, having how do you prevent that? Yankees took him to a hearing to make sure that too. he didn't make that much more money than they wanted him yeah, to. So like, how do yeah. you protect these players in making sure that they're paid a significant number above whatever's the perceived minimum wage, but then also allow the the players to retain some control over the players that they drafted and they want to build around? Like, what is that happy medium? I don't know. I have no idea. I mean, maybe you, you can know, you can I mean, just as a comparison. This is, like, the, uh, this is why we're not the people in charge. But maybe, maybe they double the league minimum and then they say, "Hey, like, you're going to get paid like way more." I mean, just as a comparison, you guys can all chime in with another thought. But it's like, it, it, you know, in the in the NBA, or the NFL teams don't have maybe as much like guaranteed years of control, but you're free agency is then like heavily incentivized on re-signing with your incumbent club it's like for the nba your rookie contract is three years with two club options and then you can hit restricted free agency where your incumbent club offers you more so i'm not saying like that's what they have to do but like that's how the other leagues do it and mlb just being like well you're ours for basically the first however many years of your career and also you're not going to make shit in that time anyway so like you know unless you're one of the most productive players in the league you're going to make like 15 18 20 million dollars like judges like it's bullshit because, yeah. you know, yeah, you know what? Are you under team control for a bunch of years with other sports? Yeah, but, like, they make money. Yeah. So it's bullshit. You know, rookies in the NBA who make or a first-round pick come in making – as a rookie, they make $10 million. That's a terrible example, though, because the NBA is half the size. You can't – you can't even if it's $5 million, you can't pay 25 guys at the minimum. If, let's say every single person 
on your roster is making 26 sorry oh, no, uh, 26 I mean, guys are making making a perceived rookie scale contract at five million dollars like no none of those bottom feeder teams are gonna be able to come close to that. that's 100 million dollars for everyone for every franchise i mean yeah no it's not an apples to apples comparison i'm just saying like they those sports like don't have the same type of control but like then heavily incentivize their players on re-signing and if it's to the point where it's like yeah you want to you know, turn down more guaranteed dollars from your team to go and hit free agency and sign somewhere else at less money than, you know, go for the gold. No one ever does it. Yeah. No yeah. NBA player ever turns down their rookie contract extension because it's more money than they've ever had. So that ultimately winds up with your incumbent team having the player under your control for like eight or nine years anyway. Well, look, look, MLB is definitely doing right by at least some teams. I don't know if this is uh, for everyone, but starting what next year? A lot of teams are going to be paying housing for yeah. a lot of minor leaguers because they're not going to be making like what, what's the average minor league salary? I think it's like thirty thousand dollars in single A, and then like oh, fifty-five thousand, and then like in triple A, it it's like thousand. Like, Andrew, Andrew, it's not even close to that much. Oh God! It's yeah, like twenty-five thousand in triple A. Twenty-five K in triple A. Yeah, it's not even right. close to anything. And yeah, and MLB already dropped the ball on this heavily because they like you know shut down a bunch of clubs and they you know like they yeah they they've been behind i mean you know not the most forward-thinking organization really major league baseball but like they've been behind the ball in this already so like good for them for doing it but like it's it's ugly they they don't deserve that much credit just because of the fact that they finally decided hey maybe we should give house like yeah hey congrats for treating your employees like people finally like yeah, yeah exactly. it's definitely progress, but it's this shouldn't be something that they were given the standing ovation for. No, no, but I mean that's that's you know it's it's nice. So that's a start, right? But ultimately, yeah. when you make it, well, to I mean, you, you, everyone's making six hundred k, and you can afford a house. <laughs> we've been saying this for, well, like I said, Jeff Passan said it five years ago that this was going to happen, and lo and behold, it's happening here. But it's like, happened, yeah. It's. You know, I feel like they've been talking about this for more obviously than just the last five years because like and you see it. I mean, is, here's here's a fun little thing that was pointed out on R2C2. It's like um you didn't even really intend for it to happen, but it happened. And I've it's is the last NBA comparison I'll make. And also the NFL. Yeah, that's but not like, true, but okay. You see those leagues, both of them, drum up excitement, right? Because it's like, hey, free agency starts on this date. So rather than having the World Series end and be like, well, you can sign anywhere in the next four months before spring training or, you know, NFL and NBA be like, all right, let's start on March 1st or July 1st. You get excited. All the shit happens. March 1st rolls around and people are signing everywhere like crazy. And that's kind of what happened this yeah, But MLB last- has that. They have an official start to free agency, but no one really does anything until the winter meetings yeah. at the earliest. Well, right. and that's because they don't have any type of structure with it. Like they have a start date, but and then they have like whenever the winter meetings are, and then that's kind of it. Right. The and, only and thing I, that I think that I like the, that that um that the NBA has that's maybe even the NFL too to an extent is that they have a max salary, right? So yeah. players who are free agents know that hey, look, this is the max that I can get, and at least seven teams are going to offer it to me. Because then you're just picking out um who's which which city you want to yeah. live in, because the amount you get is going to be relatively the same, adjusted for taxes, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so at that point, you're not posturing. You're not, you don't have a guy like Scott Boris having to pin eight teams against each other and see who's going to pony up the most. Th- that would 
certainly speed up free agency, but I think the baseball system allows teams to compete against each other and push the boundaries. Like Max Scherzer is well, making $130 million over three years. Like that, that is groundbreaking in major league baseball. I know NBA salaries are ridiculous, but again, smaller roster sizes, revenue, money, whatnot, but certainly right. the MLB free agency system at least allows teams to up the offer and constantly break new boundaries. Yeah. And I think, well, the, so the point that I was ultimately, I think attempting to make was that, all that, you know, the drawn out nature of MLB for agency relative to other sports obviously is less exciting. But in this climate of like, well, you know what? There's luxury tax thresholds. Well, who put those in place? The owners. Well, you know, Manny Machado and Bryce Harper signed like right before spring training last deal a couple of years ago, right? Like Harper's they were, was after spring training. Still. Yeah, like they were, they were there. They were, people know what kind of players they are. They know, Harper was 26 years old. Like he got, I think part of that was because they've been talked to, they were talked about those two for so long and everyone expected they're going to get 400 or $500 million. And every team was like, there's just no way we're giving you that. This is not happening. So just, just the general idea of like this financial climate, we've kind of known was broken for a couple of years now. And, you know, it's like self-imposed, right? They, it's collectively bargained or otherwise, but like this is what MLB owners wanted, and now here it is, and it's yeah, like look, we, we we talk about agency's not exciting, and the players have to wait four months to sign. Even the best ones have to wait, and it's just like it's a it's an entertainment problem. It's also it's a financial problem, and it's yeah. all together. It just fucking sucks. But I would say this year broke down all those all those walls that you you just built up. Look at how many high caliber free agents signed before the 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 shutdown date now. Right. Yeah. So it's that, not, that's, it's not that's like, what I'm saying. Like, this one was different. This. Yeah, this but, but I, was I wonder. Like, so it's not like the system is broken that doesn't allow for that. I think that's just the natural order of things. It's not like the MLB CBA was preventing this type of thing. I think it's just players were better off holding out and waiting into free agency for a few weeks and into months to get the best offer. Uh, I think there's more systemic issues that are preventing us from having. A, <laughs> a, consolidated work climate right where everyone's on the same page and, and look there's other factors too we haven't even talked about like all the rule changes that the mlb continue wants to institute obviously universal dh is something that i think everyone wants to get behind but that's still going to take some negotiation Honestly, it seems like such an, a, an out of this world slam dunk that um universal dh should happen that i'm gonna really not be at all surprised when for some yeah, but look, look, look that hard pitch count i know they have like the soft one that they don't really pay attention to but like they, they want to push that down to what like 15 seconds from like 30 or whatever it is now uh, robot umpires is something that they've been trying out in the minor leagues i don't think that's going to immediately be in place next year uh but it's something that i think is going to be worth talking about in in these upcoming weeks but the biggest issue right now is that you have two absolute stubborn personalities running the ship right you have rob manfred and you have tony clark who's mm. uh, president of the major league baseball players association and both those guys are just so stubborn in that what they believe is the only way to do business uh, look i get tony clark is representing the players and he has their best interests in mind but he's very inflexible in what he wants to work with with the league office and the owners and the same thing with, with manfred and the owners and saying hey look we need to operate in a certain way and yeah, if it imp- impacts the pitchers the, the, the players in in the not so best way well tough shit right so like there's two people two sides that don't really seem to want to work together and that's why we we're, we're at this point uh, it's not that like there's just some things that need to be negotiated it's gonna take some time it's like 
I feel right. like yeah, because if they thought they were actually going to, and they have they to. thought they were actually going to negotiate, they could both sides negotiate in good faith, and the owners wouldn't have locked the players out because they didn't yeah. need to do that. Well, they and I think like, hey, think there's the a road here, thing, but we're not going to do that. Like, I think one of the biggest uh, indicators of just how much of a buildup and just how long this is going to take is the fact that there's been so many like mild rule changes the past few years. Like you've had all the different um, pitching clocks and all the different, and you have the mound visit thing and, you know, the anti sticky stuff thing from this past year, because there's so much ambiguity between like how everything is going to work. And I don't think either side understands like what the other side wants because they don't, they have an idea of what they want the game to be like, and they're not communicating at all. And Manfred obviously wants the game to be the pace of play to be much better. And that's why all these different rules have been kind of implemented. And we don't really know what the players want other than they want competition. I just don't so, know. I think the pace of play thing is stupid, honestly. I think that's you because make... you just hate Manfred. G. Well, no, but I mean, like, what? how much more are they going to improve the pace of play, right? If you want to stop it, so, like, I thought limiting the number of mad visits was good. Yeah. Right? If you want to be like, you know what? We'll limit the number of mad visits. Put Shorter a pitch, pitch clock, clock on it. I'm honestly okay with the pitch clock. But, like, make signals as much. There's going to be more no, signs I just don't feeling. think the average time of the game is going to improve that's that That's not pace of play, though. Pace of play, play is is the is we're the, concerned about the, the rate of dead time, in, and in that's a something game. that has like as someone who's wa- who watches you know 150 plus games a year, I can I can admit that pace of play sometimes is unbearable. Like, and I think the and mean, meanwhile, there's other games that are like four hours. Three, that you're fine. With. Yeah, but okay. One thing that I think we made it like everyone at first made a big stink about, and now we kind of don't even think about it, is the three batter rule for relievers or just pitchers in general. I think that right there was a really good way to increase pace of play because there was playoffs where you'd have five pitchers coming in to face six batters or something like that. Which and I love an the entire, strategy behind that, but I agree. <laughs> that was I dragging too, And I, I appreciate the strategy behind it, but strategy takes a backseat when half an inning takes 45 minutes, you know? So I think there's things they can do to increase pace of play. And I think pace of play is something that should be looked at, but I feel like there's been so much focus on that. They haven't been looking at other problems. is doing itself a disservice by making that Manfred's like hallmark thing. Well, I I think, I don't think it's there. I don't think it's like that. I think it's more, he's been trying to fix the pace of play and a lot of the things he's kind of put in place have been very extreme to the point where the players union doesn't actually want to agree to it. I mean, it's not a secret. Like, yeah, I don't like the guy. I'm just saying like, in terms of like messaging to the fan base, I just don't think that's something that they as a league wide fan base honestly care about and, and, or he's just selling it to them wrong and they think he's an idiot for it. Like, I I think that that, is overblown to an extent with the pace of play because I personally don't even, I know it's still an issue that they're working towards, but I don't, I don't 
read articles about these negotiations. I don't oh, think God. about what, what the, the, the office of the commissioner is doing on a day-to-day -day, day -day basis and thinking they're so stuck I mean, on, yeah, on no, this I, single I, issue that they're ruining baseball. I think they're just like, there's some rules I think that, like I said, are too extreme. Like the runner on second and extra innings rule, I think was way too extreme would, a thing I because. I would care much more in terms, sorry to interrupt you. I would care much more in terms of like fundamentally, you know, important issues, like something that the league is actively screwing up, like the, the actual baseballs issue where there was news about that this week too, yeah. but like, I don't care nearly as much about the pace of play as I do, you know what? Oh, it's in season. We're going to change the balls. We're going to continue to change the balls in the season. We're going to, you know, I, I think that's a much bigger issue. And I think that's something. And that I'm sure that's going to be a big, a big oh, point yeah, that's of emphasis be a big in talk. these negotiations, because not only was it the team, the, the league arbitrarily deciding, Hey, look, this is a, a prime time game or a high profile viewed game. Uh, like the field of dreams game, like let's go ahead and use the juice ball here because we want to see home runs. It's exciting. And then, Oh, no one cares about Detroit Tigers versus Pittsburgh pirates on, on a Tuesday at one o'clock in May, let's use the, the dead ball, right? Let's get the game wrapped up in two hours, and 45 minutes with, without offense. Like that's certainly shady, but it wasn't just the baseball. Remember they also made the, the, the rule change to substance abuse in the middle of the season. Like, yeah. If you're going to do that, you have to do it at the very beginning of the season before any, you can't make the rhythm. You can't make an entire rule change. Yeah. In the or middle of the if season you're going like to strip it away, you have to say, Hey, look, you can't use any forms for uh, foreign substance, but we're going to, uh, we're going to put a, a, a pine tar rag on the mound, or we're going to doctor the baseballs, which I think yeah. we're working towards next year, but we're going to doctor the baseballs in a way that we approve. And you have to use our doctored baseballs. If it's not the substance you're used to, at least you get something and we're yeah. in control. Like that would have been not, fine, but they didn't do that. You can't just go cold Turkey on it because then you lead to injuries. Like what happened to uh, Tyler, Tyler Glasner. Glasner. He's going to miss yeah. all of next year as well from Tommy John surgery. And he's one of the yeah. best young, exciting pitchers in baseball. They yeah. had a stupid rule change that the office of the commissioner completely fumbled. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, yeah, I don't know. I think it's just. I, th I think the moral of this entire uh, pod so far is just that the CBA negotiations really are a pain. It's going to get ugly. It's, it's going to get it's ugly, ugly, and, and this it's is not ugly and bad now already, and it's going to get worse. The fact this that the quote from um, from Rob Manfred that I think it was Bob Nightingale tweeted out, which again take you know, make your Bob Nightingale jokes now, but um, <clears throat> the quote was Manfred was confident enough that they'll get things wrapped up where it won't suspend or it won't um, cut into the season to mm -hmm. impact games. Right, well, the fact that he's even implying that it could get that close means it's probably going to happen. Like there's no way the season starts on time. <laughs> Yeah, it's, I, th I honestly, I think now, if we like... get to the point where it gets to Jan, like probably January, and there's no news at all, we're and then look at the time. worst part. Even if the longer this goes on, or if it extends in like past the start of spring training, yeah. so many free agents are still unsigned. The Yankees roster is still a disaster. We can't do anything until any yeah. of that gets resolved. Well, and, and just going to be about how much rush to sign these guys. You know, the big thing, the big focus on everything is money. And just think of, I would think the owners and the players in general just have a motivation to kind of patch things up and work out a new CBA by the time spring training would start because they're going to lose a lot of money. Well, do you remember when a lot of teams were negotiating extensions with their players? I think it was prior to the 2019 season. We, the Yankees certainly did it with Hicks and Sevy. There was a mm. point of emphasis of putting certain revenue front loaded on those deals because yeah. they knew, hey, 2022 might get washed out. So we want to make sure, like, if you're making $70 million over the over a five-year contract, 
some players would say, Hey, I want 50 million in the first three years of that deal. Yeah. And then you get back right. and then you give me crap because it's possible that those that season may be lost anyway. And I won't see that mm-hmm. in the beginning. Like that's be interesting. that they were thinking about this three years to see ago. if uh, the players that signed before um, the lockout actually did that for this year. Like say in Robbie Ray's contract, which was five years, 115 million, say he's only making like they said, oh yeah, you you can make 15 million next year or 15 million the last year of your deal and then do like 20 in the 25, the first four or something kind of front load it so that if this next season is washed out, then you just kind of makes up for it. You know what I mean? Well, didn't Corey Seager do something like that? I, I know. I thought, Seager, I, think, I thought Seager's was just a flat three thirty-two and a half every year. Uh, I don't think so. I know there was definitely a $5 million signing bonus, which I think he technically already gets uh, regardless of the lockout. But I I know there was some some jumbling there, but I don't, I don't know it off the top of my head. Um, oh, look, okay. look, before before we forget, we do want to wrap up this podcast here. There is one other bit of Yankees news that came out today that we, we need to cover, and that's Yankees finally have a hitting coach. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I can pull up the, the X's and O's here. But, yeah, so the Yankees promoted from within, from the minor league rankings. Um, I got his name wrong in the pre-show. It's Dylan Lawson, right? Yeah. All right, yeah, so Dylan Lawson, he was a hitting coach at Missouri. He was in the Astros minor league system previously, and he's been with the Yankees um, in their minor league system for the last three years. So he is now the hitting coach, and I think they're also going to eventually get him two assistants. Yeah, um, I, I honestly, I like this. I like this promotion, I think having someone who was their minor league hitting coordinator becoming the major league hitting coach is a good move just because the Yankees minor league teams this past year played really well. And I think if you, the way that they're operating right now is they're kind of putting a lot of faith into their younger players. And that's what we've seen with them getting rid of Wade and Frazier and Odor and giving those roster spots to younger players. So I think having someone that they can kind of connect with that they are comfortable with being their hitting coach. So they're not just going to someone completely new is a good move. And then you can just kind of uh, augment Lawson with two other assistants that are just going to help out and try and, you know, bring those younger players to their full potential, which I think is probably going to end up happening. Uh, my big concern with Lawson, I obviously don't know too much about him to, to pass enough judgment at this point, but I, I do know that his contract was set to expire in like two weeks and the Yankees had, had some concern that he would sign for a competitor. Elsewhere, yeah. And, and, and I don't necessarily think that the defensive type of hiring like that is, is necessarily in the best interest, unless you truly believe that he's the best person for the job. Oh, if so you saying him more than, they just yeah. kind of gave him the job because they didn't want to lose him? I'm hoping that thought crossed my I'm mind hoping they, they thought that he was the best candidate and they gave him the yeah. job regardless of that. But if it was more yeah. so, hey, we don't want you to go to Boston and burn us for the next seven years. That's, stay I don't here know if that's the best way. A, yeah. Stay here and you can just get pr- a promotion and a raise. Right. And then you're not putting the best person that you believe uh, is best suited for that job in, in position. You're just trying to retain your own talent so they don't go elsewhere. So yeah. I'm hoping that's not the case. Yeah, I hope so too um 
you know, I would love to give them the benefit of the doubt and say that they're not. Um, but now that you put that thought, I'm kind of thinking about that. I'm like, that is a possibility. Like, we don't want to just f- flat out say this is what they're doing. But, yeah, that that could be a thing. But at the same time, I think we can all just say that we're happy that uh, Marcus Timms is out and they have some new blood in as their uh, hitting coach. Yeah, so look, look right. we, we were going on an unending tangent about this last year um, with all the players who were struggling with the fact that the offense generally looked pretty dead in the water. Most nights um, there are some, some players I think regardless of the additions the Yankees make, uh, there are some players that I'm going to be very curious to see how they flourish under Lawson or flounder. Uh, most notably are going to be Glamour Torres and Joey Gallo. I think those are the two most high profile players. Um, high upside players on our Mm -hmm. roster that like if they're playing at a top level we may not have to make a ton of additions in the offseason certainly we have to fill the first base opening we have to fill a shortstop and they don't necessarily have to be top of the market guys if guys like gallo and glaber able to elevate their game under the new hitting coordinator Mm -hmm. but if they're not well and i think that's one thing that i think that's one thing that the yankees are really looking at is that they probably are also having the benefit of the doubt and thinking okay a lot of our guys in this in 2021 underperformed because you have guys like Gio and DJ and Glaber and Gallo who did not even come close to performing at a level they have previously. So I think maybe they're kind of bound, they're kind of bit, uh, guessing on a bounce back, but I really don't think that you can just kind of aim for that. You know, you got to do something. But I think kind of hoping that Gallo and Glaber and DJ and Gio and, you know, Hicks when he comes back, because Hicks, Hicks was terrible at the beginning of this past year, they can kind of use Lawson and just kind of change their approach to be better than they were this past season. Yeah. I mean, um, it's just the long and short of it. And um, yeah. So that I mean, so that's yeah. So the hitting coach, they finally have a hitting coach. I guess I mean, there's other organizational positions that need to be filled, and I'm assuming at some point we'll find out who those assistants will be. Yeah, and, well, and, so and that's other... part of it, right? When you hire, when you promote two people from within, you create a vacuum in the spots that they occupy, so they're certainly going to have to fill them as well. Right, yeah. and all the minor league affiliates really did perform really well this year, so that's. You know, so it is encouraging that maybe this was a really good hire and not just necessitated yeah, I mean, that's partially to his credit at the very least. And then, so the other coaching change one, I guess, of note the Yankees do still need a first base coach, um, because Reggie Willis is gone, but they did promote, um, God, I <laughs> this man's title, his former title was just wacky, but so he was a member of the organization, the name is Desi. Druschel, Driscoll, I don't know how to pronounce it. So he was the assistant pitching coach, or he's going to be the assistant pitching coach, and he was the minor league manager of pitch development. So he's going to be with. Ma- so is he? Is he the the gas station attendant? Is he the one filling up the cars? <laughs> but yeah, so he was minor league guy. Now he's he's going assistant. to the big leagues. So yeah. Well, I think we I think what we covered assistant, a lot. Um, what the minor league pitching manager of pitch development does i really don't know but you you go on alex <laughs> saying i think we, we we've covered a lot 
today. And I think at this point, we can only hope, you know, like there's not there's at this point, there's not much we can really talk about. Yeah, because there's nothing that can happen until a CBA comes back. So yeah, we're well, gonna try to do some, some regular podcast. Well, what was that? What can happen and what's going to happen before the CBA gets signed is that there's going to be all sorts of rumors and sniping and bickering and stupidity around the negotiation. And that right. And so for like the next month, what we have to report on for the next. That's going to be our podcast for the next month is we're going to be coming and talking about these guys going in circles and not accomplishing anything. And right. the, the closer we creep to opening day without that. a resolution, we're fucked. <laughs> so this literally is what I will, you know, the extent to which we have to buckle down and be like, fuck, this is going to go on forever. This was a cool. As long as we own it now, I think we, we put ourselves in a position where we're eight, two weeks from now, if there's no resolution, a month from now, if there's no resolution, it shouldn't be as, as a shock, right? We just got to right. We gotta so, put ourselves I mean, so in that I'll mental state. This. I'll say this, and this hopefully will lead to our wrap-up. This was a quote from Rob Manfred from Wednesday. And this was also in Evan Drelch's article in The Athletic. He, the quote was, we made a proposal yesterday that I believe, if it had been accepted, would have provided a pretty clear path to make an agreement. And then Bruce Meyer, who is the league's negotiating representative, said they proposed to make a proposal if we would in advance agree to drop a number of key demands before seeing what was in their proposal. So they, at this point, are literally arguing about almost where to start the negotiation. Almost yeah. kind of sort of coming to an agreement. So yeah. I would say... So like an agreement like, to like an said, agreement this to is come not to going to be <laughs> this is not something that's going to be resolved in the next week or so. This is going to take months. I think you can you can kiss any free agency in 2021 the rest of the year goodbye. Oh, and then, easily. Well, then, well, yeah. then we'll 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 figure out where we stand at the beginning of 2022. Yeah, but either way, we'll certainly be back in a few weeks. <laughs> yeah, hopefully we'll be back soon. Maybe we'll be all maybe maybe we'll be surprised. Um, but I think. That's all we got for today. So uh, for Andrew, for G, and for Alex, this has been the Bronx Bomber Robble Pat. Oh, God, Luigi, cut this out. Please say for Luigi. No, I'm just kidding. This has been the Bronx Bomber Babble Podcast, and hopefully we're playing baseball next year. <laughs>